The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our, our study of, of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn into the book of Acts with me. Um, you know, so far what we've seen throughout this book is, is this theme of being a witness, Right? We talked about it last week, but this week's kind of a continuation, so let me just set us up a little bit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you're going to receive power, and you'll be a witness. In Acts chapter 2, God the Father poured out his power through the Holy Spirit, and Peter got up, and he became a witness, and 3,000 people got saved. In Acts chapter 3 now that we're in, uh, we see this personal, practical uh, expression of power to be a witness. And so... um, but here's, here's the thing, this witness thing that we in the church today, I think we do kind of struggle with it a little bit. Maybe it's just me, um, but a lot of us, when it comes to this idea of being a witness, like we get a little bit uneasy about that because the culture that we're in and our own insecurities and feeling like I don't have all the answers and for a variety of reasons. But have you ever, have you ever, had God do one of those things where he just like set the table for you so well to share your faith? Like it was like a sign from God, the light, you know, like the sky parted, the light shone down. You're like, okay, you know what to do now. Have you ever, have you ever had one of those moments? I haven't had a bunch that are maybe quite that dramatic, but I remember one in particular. I, I'm, I'm sure I've shared this, but it's been a while, so I'll share it again. Like I remember a time in high school I was on the student council and they had this thing. I don't know if they still do this or not, but they had this thing where like different student councils from different high schools would like swap and go to other schools so you could learn about each other and build community and unity and all this kind of stuff. Well, there was this one where we went to Northeast um, and there was a, a number of different high schools there and we would go to a couple classes, do all that kind of stuff. We'd interact with other students at Northeast. And, and so here I am with a group of people from Wing and Christian and, and, uh, so afterwards, there's like some breakout time where we have these guided discussions or whatever. And so I'm sitting in this group of, of teenagers, of high school students, and um, I'm sitting there and we're like, you got students from different, the different public schools there. And, and somebody asked this question straightforward. They said, man, there's just something different about you guys at Lincoln Christian. What is it? Whoo! Like, that's like the stuff like, that evangelism stories are made of, right? Like somebody just asked me to give the reason for the hope that I have, like Peter talks about. Like just right there. And I'm like, yeah, man, I have, I have at this point in time, even in high school, I have preached in, in multiple youth detention centers. I have gone on missions trips. I have, I have declared the gospel so many times. And in that moment, you know what I said? Uh... uh, uh. Uh, I think we're just a smaller school and we're all like, I don't know, just like closer friends or something. You idiot! Like, there it was! I'm like, these people literally sought Jesus in us and asked why. And I'm like, I don't know. Come on! Truth is, I've never had an opportunity that was that like open and shut in my life since then. 
And, and what we see here is, is an opportunity like this, actually even more so. <laughs> um, but the reality is opportunities like that don't happen all that often. But I will say this, opportunities ought happen more often than we realize. And so one of the things that I want us to do today is I, I want to look through the text. Honestly, we're going to do what we try to do every single week is, is just take the next piece of scripture and understand it as best we can. But what I, what I believe we're going to find is some just really interesting things that, that, that should really, in, in a way, simplify what being a witness is all about. Is it always, is it, am I going to say like, we're going to, we're going to learn a couple principles and all of a sudden you're just going to like, this is going to be easy. No, because you have to open your mouth. I have to open my mouth. And, and here's the deal. Like, like, I don't know, maybe you're like me. Like I've been before, like you see somebody up on stage talking about Jesus and this should be easy for you. Right. But just like I was as a kid, like I'll get up and preach, but don't tell me to like on the call, boom, right, ready. Are your marks cassette? Boom, go. That'll throw you off, won't it? And yet I believe that God has, has, has orchestrated a way of life and led us into a way of life that, that is going to put us in opportunities regularly if we can just see it, if we can just take a hold of it. And here's the deal. If you're not used to opening your mouth and being a witness, you know the best way to get better at it? <laughs> What's the best way to get better at anything? Just do it, Right? You don't learn to ride your bike the first time you hop on it, right? You got to practice. So here's, here's something that I th find super interesting. We're going to go back to the story that took place, because honestly, uh, this is part two, but even next week when we get into chapter four of Acts, it's still just continuation of the same story. So let's just, let's just back up a little bit, in case you missed last week. Uh, Acts chapter three, the beginning of the story, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They're doing what they, they always do. They're going to the temple together. They're going to pray. The time of prayer, they're, they're on their way there. They pass a guy that they've passed probably hundreds, if not thousands of times before. He's over 40 years old, and he can't walk. He's lame. And uh, they walk past him. And this time, for whatever reason, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they, they're like, hey, I'm going to, come on, get up and walk. Right? They see him. They don't just see a beggar. They don't just see a need. They see him. And then for whatever reason, they, the faith builds up that they, they're able to believe for him, for a miracle for him. He wasn't believing for it. He couldn't see it. But they saw him. They believed for him. He reached out his hand to help him. And then his legs were made strong. And then he celebrated what God had done. Right? And so this is what happens. This is the, the context that we're in. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go check it out. Um, we're going to stay in this story for a little while. And so he gets up and he starts running and dancing and he goes into the temple and they're in the temple and they're all celebrating. And that brings us to verse 11. Acts chapter three, verse 11. It says this, while the man held on to Peter and John, as you could imagine, that was pretty cool. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, just a, a portion of the temple complex. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? <laughs> That's a funny question, isn't it? I mean, like for real, like the dude's been sitting there on the side of the road, not able to walk. Why does this surprise you? But here, before he even says, why does this surprise you? I, I want to read this. There's a line in here in the New Living Translation that I love the way that it reads. Verse 12 reads this way, in the New Living. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. If we're going to be witnesses 
Which it's not just like, again, remember, it's not like you get saved and then you be a witness. You get saved and then you share your faith. You get saved, like, and if you like grow in your faith, you'll someday ascend to the place of being a witness. No, no, Jesus said your, your, your calling uh, or your salvation and your calling go hand in hand, right? You cannot se- separate salvation and your calling. Jesus did it to Peter, right? Come and I'll make you fishers of men. He followed him at the same time he was turning him back over into mission, right? We cannot separate the two. So here's the deal. God has called us into relationship with him at the same time he's called us into being fishers of men. He's called us into uh, reaching into our world, to be a witness. He said, you will be my witnesses. And so here, here I want to share just, just a few things I think that, that we've maybe misunderstood a little bit. And so I want to talk about three different things. I want to talk about understanding our opportunity, understanding our strategy, and understanding our message. I want to talk about understanding our opportunity, understanding the strategy, and understanding our message. It's really not all that complex. Here's the deal. It says, when Peter saw his opportunity, he addressed his crowd. What was the opportunity? You're like, okay, yeah, duh. Like he just told a lame man to stand up and walk. Yeah, that's a pretty good opportunity. And as soon as I speak to a lame man and get him to stand up and walk, then I will be a witness for Jesus too. See, but I don't actually think it was the miracle that was the opportunity. Sure, walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and seeing a lame man walk, yeah, that opened a door. But healings are not the only thing that opened doors in people's lives. That wasn't the opportunity. You know what I believe the opportunity was? It was this. People around him were asking a question that Jesus was the answer to, and they gave him permission to speak. Here's the opportunity that we as followers of Jesus need to be looking for at the, right now. We need to be looking for two things. Here, you want to find an opportunity? Find where people are asking a question that Jesus is the answer to, and find yourself in a position where they're giving you permission to speak, and there's the, all the opportunity that you need. When people are asking a question that Jesus is the answer to, and they give you permission to speak, get ready. It's go time. Now, now sometimes that's with healings. Sometimes it's through position that you have, relationships that you have. Sometimes it's just for being there for someone. But there's a lot of different reasons that these things happen. Now, they don't always happen in that order. I'm asking a question and I'm asking it out loud. Sometimes people are asking a question that they don't ever verbalize to you, right? I'm, I'm just gonna put it this way. I believe that Jesus is the answer to every major life question that anybody's asking. I believe Jesus is the answer to any, like, man, I just wanna find purpose in my life, Jesus. Man, I just am so anxious all the time. I need peace, Jesus. Man, I'm just, I just, my, my finances are, are, are in a wreck, Jesus. My relationships are broken, Jesus. Like the truth of the matter is the hurt and the pain that the world is feeling today, let me tell you what, Jesus is the answer to it. So when you're like, oh, when pe- this, this, was, this was like, oh, how did they get healed? That was a real easy one. But so oftentimes the questions that people are asking about purpose, 
about, about what I'm supposed to do with my life, about relationships, about the hurts that I've experienced, about how do I, I get over this, this traumatic event. Like all of these different hurts and wounds and questions that people are alive. How do I find the secret to success? How do I find fulfillment and purpose? All of these questions that the people, that the human race is asking, listen, Jesus is the answer. And sometimes those questions are verbalized, but oftentimes they never are. So what we need to do as as, as as followers of Jesus, is we need to be listening for the questions that aren't being verbalized. In this story, piece of cake. They verbalize the questions, but friends, the unbelievers in our lives, they're asking questions. You can be certain of it. Are you close enough to know? Are you listening to know the questions that they're asking? Because when the moment presents itself where they grant permission for you to speak, be ready with the answer. Be ready with the answer. Now listen to the, the answer. Let's continue in our text. Listen to the answer that Peter gave. It's an interesting one, okay? Right? So when Peter saw this, he said to them, when he saw the crowd, when he, when he saw the opportunity, he addressed the crowd, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? This is interesting. Then he goes, he asks those two questions, then he jumps straight to this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. There's no bridge to Jesus whatsoever. How did he just go like straight from like, like, healing. How, how did he go there? You got to remember something. Jesus is performing miracles in the area like two, three months prior. When this lame man walked, you know what would have had, happened in the head of every single person? I've not seen anything like this since uh, Jesus. And so Peter gets up and he knows what they're already thinking. And he's like, okay, let me connect the dots for you. <laughs> this wasn't me. I didn't do this. And he just instantly goes to Jesus. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of, notice this, our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. <laughs> and then listen to this. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this, right? We, we hear that phrase. We wouldn't use that very often. We were witnesses of this. Basically, what many are saying? We saw it with our own eyes. We watched this happen. We are witnesses of By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So he just like gets after him right off the bat, doesn't he? Like he just goes for it. You disown the holy and righteous one, you killed the author of life. Now this is an interesting strategy, isn't it? Like if we, if we just want to talk strategy and you just like, okay, I'm just going to, it's out of the scripture. I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to get myself some kind of little mini stage and I'm just going to yell at people and I'm going to tell any unsuspecting passerby, you disown the holy and righteous one, you killed the author of life. Do you think that would, I don't know, win a lot of hearts to Jesus? Probably not. Probably not. What's the difference? Opportunity. 
The reason they were able to go there is because his audience was asking them a question that Jesus was the answer to, and they had given him permission to speak. Sometimes we jump into this aggressive event, some people jump into this aggressive thing, attacking, and we've not been granted opportunity. We've not been granted permission to speak. They've, nobody's asking any questions, and there is no open door. You know, and, and, and we'll read this here in a little bit, but in, in Colossians, uh, Paul is asking for prayer that God may open a door for our message. You know what that means? That sometimes there's not an open door. And we need to be able to look for those opportunities. Am I saying that you should only, only talk about Jesus when like the red carpet is laid out? No. We should, this should just be a part of our life. I mean, Jesus is the most important part of my entire life. I hope he is yours. And I hope that we can talk about the central theme of our life in normal ways that don't make us feel like weird and uncomfortable. That's something we should also practice. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can get in this like evangelize, evangelize, evangelize and start busting doors down. Like, well, that's what they did. It's not really what they did. They found an opportunity. He saw the opportunity where people were asking a question that Jesus was the answer to, and then they gave him permission to speak. This seems super, super direct, but it's because they were given this opportunity. They gave permission to speak. So now let's talk about this, the strategy that they did use, okay? Here's something I want us to see, and here's something I think we can learn from and what they did here. Verse 12, notice that he says, fellow Israelites. What is he doing? He's finding that common ground. Okay? I understand. He understood. I'm a follower of Jesus. They're not. I'm in the minority here. They're in the majority. We need to bridge this gap here. Okay? So the first step in understanding our strategy is we need to learn to build bridges, not walls. We need to learn to build bridges, not walls. We need to identify with our audience. Verse 12, he says, fellow Israelites. And then when he goes to begin to connect the dots for him, they're like, hey, how did this happen? He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he, he referenced the core of their spiritual beliefs. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of, then he says this, our fathers. What is he doing again? He's building bridges. Sure, you rejected the Holy One, or, yeah, that's, that's harsh, but he spoke truth. But even in his truth, he was building these bridges. Then in verse 17, then in verse 17, he says this, now fellow Israelites, says it again. In just a few statements, he says fellow Israelites. He says our, he's trying to make this connection. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders right? So fellow Israelites, the God of our fathers, fellow Israelites, his strategy starts with building bridges, not walls. The next thing it includes is that if we want to understand a strategy, we've got to build bridges, not walls, and we've got to show grace. Build bridges, not walls, we've got to show grace. He, he calls it straightforward. Like they asked the reason, like how did this man walk? Like it's because of Jesus. Remember that Jesus just a couple months ago, like you were shouting, crucify him, right? Remember that guy? The guy that was doing miracles, then you're like, nah, right? That guy? Yeah, it's because of him. Like, you murdered him. Like, he didn't, he didn't pull punches. Like, he, he, he shot straight with them when they asked. But he identified with them, and he showed grace. Listen to what it says. He says, now, fellow Israelites, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Listen, there's different ways you could read that. You could read it that way. You're like, now, fellow Israelites, I, I know you acted in ignorance. I don't think that's how it came across. You see, he was building bridges. He was identifying with his audience, and then he was showing grace. He's like, listen, you rejected Jesus, but I get it. You didn't understand. I, I see, like, you, you rejected him, but, but, but you didn't have all the information. You didn't, your eyes had not been opened. You didn't, under, you didn't understand. He's like, now, now let me explain this in a language that you will understand. There was a gentleness. Even when he, when he spoke directly, there was still a gentleness in the way that he presented his message. You know, I've heard people talk about, man, the Bible talks about the, the, the gospel is offensive to the unbelievers. Yeah, it is, but you don't have to be, right? I mean, I quoted Peter earlier when he said, you know, uh, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But the next verse is, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, I, I think we get these pictures in our head of, of sometimes this overbearing like sales pitch. That's not what Jesus called us to. He's called us to look for opportunities. And when the opportunity presents itself, when the door is open, that, that people are asking questions that Jesus is the answer to and that they're giving us permission to speak into their lives, then, then I step through it. And I, how do I start? I start by building bridges. I start, about, I start with talking about us and we and our. I, I build as many connections as I can possibly build. And then in the midst of all that, I show grace. And then what do I need to do? I need to learn to speak their language. Let me, verse 17 and 18 again. It says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And he goes on and on. And in fact, I'm not going to read all of it, but all the way through the rest of the chapter, what he's doing there, he's making a case that this Jesus that they did just execute was actually the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, Lest you think, okay, this gives us a strategy. We're supposed to use Old Testament prophecy in order to preach Jesus in today's world. That's one take. Or here's another one. Jesus, or Peter spoke their language, so he presented Jesus in the language of his audience. Okay, this is what I'm saying. They were Jews. They understood the Old Testament. They gave their lives to learning and studying and, and incorporating the Old Testament into their life. This was what they were waiting for. The greatest hope of life was to see the Messiah come and here in their lifetime. And so what does Peter do? He doesn't just preach the Bible. What Peter does here is he speaks their language. Now, just in case you think I'm taking too much liberty to this, I'd encourage you to cross-reference this to Acts, or Paul's sermon in Acts 17. Do this at, at a later time, but let me just hit some high points for you. In, in, Peter's, in Paul's message in Acts chapter 17, he presents himself a lot differently. He gets up and he doesn't quote scripture. You know what he quotes? Greek philosophers. Why? Because Jewish prophets would have had no bearing whatsoever on the Greek listeners. 
In fact, they were intellectuals who proud themselves on being philosophical, and they would debate all day long, and they, they wanted this, this intellectual ascent. And so you know what he did? He tapped into Paul's intellectual upbringing and his experience in education, and he spoke their language. Never used Scripture. So here, Peter uses scripture. Why? Because he's talking to Jews. And so he uses not just scripture, but the Old Testament prophets who are pointing to Jesus. And he was explaining Jesus in their language. So let me just do this. All right, if we're going to, here's our strategy. First, we've got to build bridges, not walls. Two, we've got to show grace. And three, we've got to start on their turf. Okay? Here's the deal. Sometimes we build bridges and then we shout across the bridge and try to get people to cross it on their own. I believe what Jesus did, the very, the very picture of Jesus, is Jesus built the bridge and then he crossed it and he came and got us. And I believe the least that we can do is cross that cultural bridge and bring people to Jesus, not shout at them and tell them to get up and go. Does that make sense? Here, let, let, me, let me give a, 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 a cultural example. Right, because here's what we tend to do. We, we know that missionaries, what is the job of a missionary? First, they have to go, they have to learn the language, right? So they study so they can learn the language, so they can speak the language. And then not only the language, what do they learn as well? They learn the culture, right? So they learn this language and they learn the culture. And we know that what they want to do then is not take American ways of thinking and present the gospel, but they want to take the culture and the ways of thinking in that culture and present Jesus in a way that they will understand, right? That's what missionaries do, okay? But us, we fight our culture and we attack our culture. And then we wonder why our culture doesn't want to, anything to do with Jesus. That seems odd. I think it's because we, we get this idea that if, if, if I listen to how the culture thinks that it somehow jeopardizes my own belief system? Listen, I can ask questions that have answers that I don't agree with without losing faith. Here, here's a practical, I, I believe that life starts at conception because the Bible says God knit us together in the mother's womb. I'm, I'm very much pro-life. But if, if somebody has a, a, a worldview and a perspective that life begins, at a, I don't know, say a heartbeat, and, and they're pro-choice until the heartbeat. And then they're like, well, once the heartbeat, then it's hard to deny it. So I, I believe that you should probably do whatever you can there, right? And so what do we do? We scream baby killer at them. Is that technically what I believe is happening? Sure, but like, why not be like, hey, why do you believe the way that you believe? It doesn't question my understanding of who God is. But what if I like tried to understand the culture that I lived in instead of just trying to wage war against it? I don't wage war against the culture. I wage war against principalities and demonic forces in the world today, not the culture itself. I don't wage war against people who hold values that don't align with the word of God. I seek to understand it because if I want a voice in their life, I better listen to them. Listen, you can, you can fight on the legislative side and change laws all day long. Yeah, sure, fine. But when it comes to engaging with people, 
or in our social interaction with other human beings, let's not fight culture because what we're going to do is we're going to shut off a wave of opportunity that we would otherwise be able to speak into somebody's life. And that's just on one topic. Somebody who chooses a lifestyle other than what we see is aligned with the word of God. We can attack and lose our voice. We can attack and not only lose our voice, lose a pulse on the culture that we're called to reach. How is it that we see so clearly that a missionary is supposed to leave, go to a foreign land and learn their culture and present Jesus in their culture, but we're supposed to attack ours? God, forgive us. No wonder we don't find these opportunities as frequently as as we see in Scripture. We build bridges. Hey, everybody's welcome. We may preach grace, but then we scream at the people on the other side of the bridge. Hey, what if we did like Jesus? Uh, Like we were the first ones to cross the bridge? What if we came around somebody that was like angry opposed to Jesus and just loved them and try to learn why they're angry opposed to Jesus? Something in their heart and their life and their experience and their past has really wounded them really bad. We could attack them for it or we could love them. And then when, you, when you've earned a voice, when you see the deeper questions that they're asking, when you've earned the respect and you've earned the rights and the invitation to speak, when they've granted permission for you to speak and you can see the question that Jesus is the answer to, guess what? Opportunity is there. But we got to start on their turf. When we attack a culture, we lose our voice, we lose our opportunity. When we love and learn a culture, we gain a voice and opportunity. It doesn't threaten my faith to listen to somebody who differs with me. But then the last piece, and yes, the most significant, is we gotta understand our message, right? We understand our opportunity. Our opportunity comes when we have the answer to the question they're asking and when they invite us. Strategy happens and building bridges, showing grace and starting on their turf. But here's the deal. We have to understand our message. Verse 19, this is significant. Verse 19 says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Here's three pieces to our message. And our message really doesn't change, but it is adapted to the culture that we're presenting it to. The message doesn't change, but it is adapted to the culture that we're communicating with. The piece that doesn't change at all is Jesus. (laughs) There is no gospel, there is no salvation except Jesus and Jesus only. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes through the Father but through me. Notice the first thing he does is, man, this guy walked, how did it happen? Jesus, 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 Jesus. The first thing he did, he showed that Jesus was the answer to the question they were asking. That's critical. But here's the thing, Jesus is the answer, but here's what answer? And again, this is where we need to understand our culture. This is where we need to understand who we're talking to. 
Here's the answer. But here's, here's the part that, that we can't miss as well. So we got Jesus. We got the answer. And the answer could change whatever you're looking for. The person, the unsafe person in your life and in your life and in your life, they've got different questions. I believe the deepest questions, Jesus is the answer to all of them. But understanding the questions are asking so we know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one. There's nobody else, just Jesus. But here's the piece that, that we can't forget as well. It's repentance. It's repentance. Jesus is the answer, but that answer comes through Repentance. You see, you know, you know what the Jews were looking for? They're living under a time where they weren't even calling the shots in their own nation and they're supposed to be the people of God and they're living under the Roman rule and there's just tension and there's oppression and there's struggle. And so you know what the question they were looking for? I'm just finding, I'm looking for rest for my soul. And Peter says, I found it. Right? He says, repent then and turn to God. He's already talked about Jesus. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. They knew that sin was a big deal. They'd make their sacrifices over and over. I love that. He didn't say your sins will be forgiven. They were used to forgiven sins. He was, they said your sins are going to be wiped out. They're gone. They're done. You don't have to worry about them anymore. The sacrifice has been made once and for all. Man, there's freedom. And he says, listen, times of refreshing are going to come. But here's the deal, isn't, isn't that deep down, regardless of what our question might be, isn't that what we're all looking for? Just refreshment for my soul? Our tired and weary souls. I just, I just want a break, I just want relief from the struggle, from the addiction, from the pressure. Says so Jesus is the answer. But the answer comes through repentance. Jesus is the answer, but he's not just another add-on to my life. It comes, when you come to a place, we're bringing it to decision mode and you're like, okay, is it Jesus or not? Jesus led with love. He embraced sinners. He dined with people that the, that the other church people wouldn't even be associated with, wouldn't ever see, uh, be seen with. And yet he loved them and he called them and he embraced them. But he always called them to a point of decision. See, here's the thing. So many of us today, we, we have this tendency Within the church, we want to lean to the repentant side or the refreshment side. And usually it's a knee-jerk reaction to the other, right? We see the preacher on the street co corner condemning college kids walking by, you're going to hell. And we're like, I don't want anything to do with that. I, doesn't, I don't want anything to do with that. And so what do we do? We swing all the way over to this place where we're just like, hey, I'm just going to love people and let them figure out Jesus on their own. I'm, not, I'm just going to love and I'm not going to come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. Well, here's the deal. Jesus said, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Jesus calls people to a place of repentance. And then there's some on the other side and, and, and you're just like, man, this whole seeker-sensitive or seeker-friendly kind of church thing where people are more concerned about doing big events and production and more concerned about filling numbers on Sunday than they are about people coming to follow Jesus. And I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I get that too. It's not about starting a movement. It's not about 
how many followers do we have? It's about how many followers does he have? But just because we want to go that way doesn't mean we have to lean on the offensiveness of, of, of the gospel and just tick people off because we can. I love the balance. Maybe that's not the best word. I love the fullness of Peter's presentation. He's like, it's all about repentance, but repentance that leads to refreshment. If I preach refresh, refreshment, or I preach answers, or I preach, hey, are you feeling tired? God is going to pick you up. Come love Jesus, and Jesus will love on you. Hey, that's all true, but if I leave out repentance, I'm missing the gospel. But if I'm just like, hey, you better not go to hell. You want to go to hell? Yeah, pray this prayer. I, I also wonder if that's the gospel. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, I believe it's verse 4, Paul reminds us, like, don't you know that it's his kindness that leads to repentance? And somehow we've, in our mind and in our current church culture today, so many of us have separated and pitted against each other God's repentance and God's kindness. And yet Paul himself says, God's repentance and kindness go together. Peter said, God's refreshment and his repentance go together. I can lead with love and grace and forgiveness and understanding without compromising. You still have to repent and turn to God. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's the beauty of the gospel. I don't want any one without the other. And so Peter, Peter comes today, or comes to this day. And I'm gonna back up, I'm gonna walk through this quickly for you. Like, he's walking in step with Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna put all the pieces together here for you. And he sees through somebody's need, and he sees a person. And he has faith to believe for that person when that person didn't have faith to believe for themselves. And then he didn't just say, be blessed and walk away. He gave him his hand and he picked him up and he watched God show up for that person. He walked him through his miracle. And then he celebrated full of joy, full of God, full of celebration. And what happens after that? Opportunity arises. People are like, whoa, tell me about this. Wow, I want to know what happened. They had questions that only Jesus could answer or that Jesus was the answer to. And they get permission for him to speak. And so he opens up his mouth and he speaks. He walks through the opportunity. The strategy is simple. Build bridges, show grace, start on their turf. And let's not water it down. And let's not forget the goodness and the grace and the kindness. There's too many points in that to be a really good sermon. But that's what makes the Christian life a little bit complex is that I can't do it perfectly in three points. This is a process that I've got to learn how to walk in step with Jesus, how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, how to walk in a perpetual state of just celebration of the goodness of God. I'm just, I'm just constantly, instead of worship, God, you're good. I know life is hard. I know I'm old now, but God, you're still good. <laughs> Sorry for everybody else older than me. 
But when I walk in that place of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and I'm able to see other people, it opens doors that I can then walk through. So here's the deal. There's too many points to camp out on right now, but let me just say this. Where are you in this process? Some of us can't even start because we can't walk. We, we, we've not yet learned how to walk in the fullness of Christ. Like, don't, like you're trying all these things, but you're grumpy more than half of your life. You're not going to be a good witness until you can see the goodness of God in your life today. Why does anybody want your grumpy life? Don't sell that. And I, <laughs> Don't sell that. You just need to start seeking the Holy Spirit for yourself. Seeking God where you're at. We seek him first and then we begin to see other people. And then we begin to pour our lives into and believe for other people. We begin to see God show up in people's lives. And as we're walking this lifestyle, then we start looking for opportunities. And they'll come if we've got eyes to see. Opportunities are there. For some of you, there's opportunities right now today that you've just not been looking for. They're there. What are the questions that people are asking that Jesus is the answer to? Have they given you a voice? Have they granted you permission to speak? Then speak. I love, again, I love how Paul put this together. Colossians chapter four, I'll wrap up with this, verse three through six. And pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. That'd be unbelievers. Listen, friends, be wise in the way you act towards unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We are God's plan A for the unbelieving world today. Are we up for it? Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you've chosen us. We don't understand it. We don't get it. I feel like angels dropping in from heaven would do like a way better job. And yet in our brokenness, in our not quite there yet, in our, in our stumbling over words, in our struggle to love people fully, in our uh, tendency to be overly graceful or not enough. God, in the complexity of the life that we live in this world, you've called us to be your mouthpiece, to be just simply your witness, to declare what we've seen and heard. It's a heavy weight. But God, I know it doesn't need to be. So Father, would you guide us and lead us into truth? God, may we see in this very text, in this example you've left us from Peter and John, what it looks like to walk in this, this authentic faith that points people to you. God, you're so good. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.